0: southbound, I've been hellbound,
1: riding on a midnight train. Going too fast now, thing all oh, down, standing in the pouring rain.
0: What's going on guys? Tristan and Tony with the Zero Duck 30 podcast back here with another episode. Uh, what's going on Tony? Hey,
2: you know what? It's podcast time.
0: <laughs> so t- today we got on Dr. Bradley Cohen. Um, if you guys remember, I don't know, it might have been 10, 15 episodes ago. Uh, we had Dr. Brad on and got into a lot of great um, scientific stuff. And uh, being that's later in duck season, we wanted to get get him back on here and to see if some new data's came out and all that good stuff. So thank you for
2: taking the time, uh, Brad. How how you doing tonight?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: Awesome. Yeah. So if you didn't get to listen to the podcast before when we had Brad on, um, I definitely urge you to go back and listen to that because I think it'll help you get into like the real in-depth parts of what they truly do and we're just not going to cover that tonight um i think that that episode really drilled down i mean Mm -hmm. i even got into some words i didn't even know how to say so yeah that was
3: that was that was a pretty
2: heavy one but uh brad just for people that haven't listened before um would you please introduce yourself professionally and, and personally talk about what you like to do and stuff
1: Sure. So um, I'm a professor of wildlife ecology at Tennessee Tech University, which is about an hour east of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, most of my research focuses on applied game animal ecology. So uh, so th- another way to put that is my research focuses on how we manage wildlife populations and habitat for species that are harvested. And uh, long story short, uh, I got into this because I love hunting and fishing. I mean, Long story short was that I um, I didn't realize at the time that I'd be busiest during hunting season, but I, I absolutely love hunting. Uh, and so I was like, oh, that's a great career to go into. I'll just research all the animals I'd like to kill. And then uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm busiest during, during hunting season. You know, probably probably should have studied like songbirds or something like that. But, you know, I still every day I go to work and I don't feel like I'm really working. So it's a good it's a good trade off.
2: <laughs> do, do you think sometimes, Brad, when someone like yourself is uh, I'm thinking about my wife, she's a nurse practitioner, you know, and and, you know, like uh, a symptom comes up, you know, and she's over there. Blah, 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 you know, drilling down on it. And I'm like, sometimes you can know too much. Is that kind of roll into your, uh, experience with your professional life and your, in your hunting career?
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, I originally did a lot of research with whitetail deer and I was a big deer hunter. I've always been a huge duck hunter, but, uh, I love deer hunting and it definitely after like, you know, 10, 15 years of researching whitetail deer, they start to lose their shine. And, you know, I was never a really good turkey hunter. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'll just I'm just going to switch over to doing turkey research. You know, like if I had to lose one, I love turkey hunting. It's it's the best thing in the spring. But if I have to lose one where I like I don't kill many turkeys anyway, so it's not a big loss, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but like ducks are just too cool, like no matter how much research I do on them. Uh, I don't see that shine wearing off.
0: <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Mabel. You were, you were asking us off air, kind of how our duck season was going, but uh, we didn't mm. get into how, you know, how your duck season's been going. Have you been able to get out and do some duck hunting this year?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done a good, good bit of duck hunting. It's been uh hit or miss hit or miss is the best way of putting it. You know, we had that cold weather in December and I think everyone had some pretty good weeks around there. Yep, And then, uh, I don't know, like, for me, on some good weather fronts, I've had some good hunting. Otherwise, it's been slow picking up a couple here or there, you know, nothing crazy. Uh, how about, did you guys have something better than average or worse uh, than average?
2: It was just up and down.
1: Up and um, down. Yes, I, I mean, think. not a lot of big ducks.
2: Yeah, I mean, opening weekend really? o- opening weekend blew our mind, quite honestly. Um, we didn't even raise our guns, and we saw less than... And we're in northeast Arkansas, so we saw less than, the whole weekend, we saw less than 300 birds. Probably. And that's Not counting, well. like, as high as the sky you could see. And <laughs> now, on right. the geese, on the other hand, that was a little bit of a story. But, um, yeah, they just weren't there and weren't flying, you know? I mean, it's just bottom line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah even, right. even as
0: um, recent as last weekend, um, it was still just predominantly teal and, you know, smaller ducks. I mean... Um, you know, you would shoot some other species of big ducks, but like the big pushes, like mallards, they weren't really there. I mean, there's a lot mm. of pintails. Yeah, but. yeah, tons
2: of pintails.
1: Wow. Yeah, well, pintails last year too. There was a ton of pintails. Um, I mean, they, they, I don't know, I, I don't remember what the current numbers are for them, but it seems like they're doing pretty good, at least where we are. That's, yeah,
0: that's what uh our buddy our buddy is like. Man, they need to make the limit of them four because you see so many of them. And I was telling him, I think it's because and you'll probably have a good input on this brad but i think it's because of how finicky they are about laying their eggs and how hard they are like yeah
1: they get they get up to the prairie potholes so early they they you know farmers tend to run over their nests pretty because they nest so early but yeah and that's but i'll be honest you could for me you could set the limit at six and i still wouldn't probably shoot them there you know i see a flock of 50 and here they come and you know they work and then they peel off to like 20 yeah 10 (laughs) one and then you know it's like a 60 yard shot if you want to take it with (laughs) that one single so like i don't know if it's like that for you guys but like it doesn't matter i can't i can't really get them consistently anyway no matter how many i see
0: (laughs) on sunday uh this past sunday we we hunted all day (laughs) it's so funny that you bring us up up, brad so we hunted two different (laughs) fields and the first field like there was like six of us we shot like seven birds went over this other field for the evening and um (laughs) the pintails all day long at both fields would do exactly like you said. And like with two minutes of shooting light left, we shot a pintail on a gadwall. And I was like,
2: I jumped out of the blind with excitement. <laughs> it was like a rocket exploded right out of his behind. Yeah. He, jumped, he jumped right out of that thing. He's like,
3: a pintail! Yeah, I, it I like, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah they I don't know why they do, you know, and it seems like the other one that does that a lot is it's like Spoonies will either be like, I love what you got. And here I am. And sure. outside of that, most of the time, my experience with spoonies has been the same thing They you, yep. you think you need one more pass and they go, nah, and elevate and there. They go start elevating, you know, and you're like, my goodness, you know, but Hey, we did take some good 60, 75 yard high shots at some pintails this weekend. <laughs> I'll tell you that because we got frustrated and we said, I said, let it rip tater chip. And we bring a <laughs> boom. And just, yeah. and uh, I think all of us knew that, if we got lucky with one pellet hitting one of them, we'd be lucky. <laughs> yeah. I
1: know. I know. It's they're frustrating duck for sure.
2: Oh man, but yeah, no, that's the way the duck season's been for us. It's just been up and down, you know. Um I went out there the following weekend and was part of a 3-man limit, a 4-man limit and a 6-man limit, you know, back to back to back. And wow. you just you just never know, you know, and, and our buddy Cade, you know, over there, he's had he's got a, a lot of property to go from and you know, he just one area might be super hot that day and ducks are ducks, you know?
3: For sure. Yeah, I know. It.
2: But, uh, but man, so Brad, do me a favor and just give a, uh, give us a 60 second commercial on what is Cohen wildlife lab and what is you guys' focus there?
1: Uh, yeah. So it's, it's basically my research lab right now. We have, uh, I think 10 graduate students or nine graduate students and a postdoc and we research everything from uh, a lot. We put a lot of GPS units on animals, so like turkeys and ducks, and then we also do a little bit of white-tailed deer stuff. and And the end goal is we're working with state and federal agencies, and we're coming up with habitat and management prescriptions, whether it's like you know harvest frameworks or something like that, to optimize uh, wildlife populations. Now that's you know the word optimize is kind of a weird word, but it's you know both like keep those populations high and sustainable but also make sure that hunters you know are getting the experience that they want so we we kind of are like wildlife researchers but also very cognizant of the experience that game animals or all animals can provide does that make sense yes yeah, yeah
2: absolutely no that's that's a great overview and like i said before you guys if you really want to dive down into some of this stuff i mean they get into doing was it with the, the ARUs?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do like, oh, yeah, we do all kinds of different stuff. Like, you know, we, we don't just like put GPS transmitters on ducks. Instead, we like, we put GPS transmitters on ducks, and then we disturb refuges with those GPS transmitter ducts there. And then we monitor how many shotgun blasts happen on those days versus days where we don't disturb. And those shotgun blasts are recorded with like, you know, just a recording unit that's kind of just passively listening. And we find stuff like, you know, every time we disturb a refuge, the daily shots actually decreased by 50%, which you wouldn't expect, right? But those right. ducks, movement, our movement basically shows that those ducks get up, fly around, scared of shit, and then <laughs> land back down and hunker down. You right. know? And so, right.
2: Yeah. That, so you guys, I'm sorry, Tristan. Well,
0: I was just going to say that what you just said, uh, Brad, was basically out of our last podcast it has been like probably the biggest thing that's stuck with me and my favorite thing to bring up. If I get talking with people and this podcast, you know, when we had you on comes up, I love to bring that up. It's just
2: so interesting. It is. It, and the other thing that we bring up a lot and, and people will be like, Oh, we're migrating ducks. I said, wait a minute. I know somebody's <laughs> yeah. studying that stuff. And just because of the altitude doesn't mean that they're migrating ducks
1: oh all sure again. yeah i mean you, you the only the only time you, you any hunter really knows when there's migrating ducks because those are the those are the special days those are the days when you can call them out of the sky because they don't know where to go or what they're doing those are the migrators you know and i mean if you look at our data we we see that generally like there's two pushes of migration that's it like yeah sure there's always a constant trickle here and there but there's only really two good pushes of migration one uh one actually before hunting season begins and then one around like December, late December and early January. That's it. Well, here's, here's a good little
2: lead in to, to push off to the next topic is if you're listening to this podcast and we tell you that Brad actually told us on the last podcast that once they get down here, most ducks, I think you said stay within a four square mile radius or something like that. What, what, what Do I have that? Yeah. Number?
1: Okay. All right. So let me... Yeah. Yeah. So they basically stay within a four mile race. That's exactly right. Of, 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 of a refuge
2: of a refuge. Yeah. So at least
1: in Tennessee. Now, now listen, that is being found in other States too, but you got to keep in mind where I am, where I'm doing this study. Like there's a lot of food around, so they don't have to fly like super far, but yeah, within four miles.
2: Right. Well, and, and I would, I would have to bet the same when you're talking about going to the rice capital of the world as a duck that there's plenty of food. It's just where they want to be that day. And there's 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 a consistent trend with some of that stuff. And so the whole point here is, is folks, is that um, really go back and listen to that podcast. It's something awesome. I learned a lot from it. I know Tristan did and uh, good stuff. So, um, So let's get an update on the past few months and go over some of the data that you've been processing as far as the migration this year. I know um we'll get into this a little bit later but you posted about some f- really crazy numbers from this one mallard that you guys had tracked and we'll get into that in a little bit but what's some of the stuff that uh, you guys have been processing since we've had you on since the migration started
1: yeah so we've since october we put out oh a couple
2: as waterfowlers, we experience all kinds of extreme weather conditions. Stay bone dry and warm with Frog Togs hunting gear. You can check them out at FrogTogs.com or at Frog Togs Hunt on Instagram.
1: A hundred more transmitters and wow. watched a couple hundred more ducks also migrate down. And uh, basically, you know, it started off. Um, I think I told you this, but like, in most of our the ducks we capture. I would say about 50 percent, give or take. You know, don't ask me the exact number. We're actually working on it now. But um, th- those ducks, when we you know we tag them in the winter in Tennessee, they fly back up north. They go back to where they're going to winter around November the first week of November. They don't stop. They just fly down. So about 50 percent of our ducks were right here by November 15th. So huh. all that cold stuff and all that that was happening up north didn't really affect them and then we watched them kind of trickle down. Once that cold front hit in December, by that time about seventy five percent of our ducks are already where they were gonna go. Um and we did see like you know you remember that freezing cold weather, mm-hmm. right, yeah. right? Sure
2: that double polar push or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, and I mean ducks now listen, here's the thing. Let me tell you something. So I would have thought our ducks would have pushed out of the area or pushed further down, and some certainly did, like, like some of our high our ducks like that were already from last year, the year before, and were like a little above Tennessee. They flew down to Tennessee, but only of the ones we were monitoring, like less than ten percent still went further south wow. than Tennessee. Now, wow. that we keep in mind, that's where we been, that's where we actually like tag them, right? So like my buddy Paul Link in Louisiana, he tags his ducks in Louisiana. They come back to Louisiana. Like this isn't some short stopping thing. This is just these ducks don't want to go any further than where they're used to.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but like, I couldn't believe it. We we put a we put we put a drone up in the air, so we're doing some drone survey now work now.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, dude, mm-hmm. these there was like a hundred thousand ducks in like one area, and they're just sitting there, even in that super cold water and it's super cold weather, they're keeping pockets open. This wasn't some kind of, like, ice eater thing. Right. There's 100,000 ducks just literally keeping water Goodness. open on top of each other. And so none of our ducks really left Tennessee even when that happened. Wow. So, Not yeah. to get
2: off track with that, but did you happen to notice, some, was there some eagle and hawk dive bombing going on on that stuff?
1: Oh, hell, oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, but, like, that's happening 24-7 at these refuges. Like, these eagles right. eat well like well they're, but they're our not, best they're friends they they dive bombing a lot of you you watch them you know you you can see every once in a while like they'll they'll take a duck and it's like that duck probably was a cripple of some sort you know like yeah they're they're going after specific ones otherwise it's like yeah, better. It's, yeah it's just a constant thing um but yeah it's it's been oh i will say though so okay this is the important part so even though our ducks didn't leave tennessee mm-hmm. uh our the ones we tagged got absolutely hammered by hunters. So mm-hmm. when, here's another thing that I've been thinking about like, you know, with this quote unquote, you mentioned like, are those migrators or not? It doesn't matter really if they're migrators, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that ice, that cold weather, everyone's like, oh, we're shooting fresh migrators coming down. No, you're just shooting ducks that are no longer able to go where they want, where they're used to going. <laughs> True. Fair enough. They're going to a new environment. True. That's it. Fair enough. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, our ducks were getting hammered, but it's because. Instead of going to Joe's cornfield that they go to every every day, that's locked up. So they gotta find something different, and that's when they were getting killed. Uh-huh.
0: I one thing that kind of just spurred, and I don't think we brought this up last time, but um, you know, you'll talk to guys in our state of Georgia that you know, oh yeah, you know, we get we shoot mallards up in northwest Georgia and stuff like that. And I'm just curious, Brad. Like I read on the DNR's website for Georgia that there's no migratory mallards to the state, but have you guys ever had one? dip into georgia that you had a transmitter on no
1: no no we haven't had any that have even crossed into the atlantic flyway at all okay um yeah so like our uh, there's definitely i uh, i won't speak too much but i I would be surprised if there aren't at least some migrators down there but
3: Mm -hmm.
1: you know you're dealing with probably short distance migrators that are probably from like you know nesting in new jersey new york I see. Stuff like that. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Gotcha.
2: uh, Now we're spinning out of control here. So this is, (laughs) this is a cool one. And I hadn't even thought about this until now because I was mind blown early on that this even happened. Most duck hunters, I don't think realize that wood ducks have, they migrate. I mean, there's, there's definitely your local wood ducks, right? Yes. But there is a lot of migrating wood ducks that I did not even know that kind of thing happened until we experienced yeah. like getting hit in the face with ducks one morning. <laughs> and it right. was because right. this this uh, Arkansas um, Game and Fish um, 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 game warden told us that the, the what was it, the it, was the White uh, Oaks?
0: Yeah, it was an acorn.
2: It was some kind of 10-year push yeah. on the you know, where they really release a ton of acorns. Yeah. And somehow the the wood ducks just know it. And we were getting, I mean, literally Tristan almost got hit in the head. It, we all <laughs> shot one and on the way to get our one, we limited it out. I mean, it was, it was that crazy. <laughs> and um, what is, do you guys tag any wood ducks? And have you seen like any kind of big migratory pushes with the wood ducks?
1: No, uh, we haven't done anything with wood ducks. There's one lab out in, actually, in Illinois that uh, has put put them on, but it's a a little difficult, right? So most of the research that's going to be done when you're putting any type of markers on an animal, you're typically going to, like, focus on the females. They're driving the population. You're interested in where they're going, where they're nesting. Ah. Well, now you're talking about a duck that gets in and out of a cavity. When you put something on their back, that's a little funky to begin with, right? Yeah. You don't want to get them caught. The second part is if you're talking about a solar panel, well, now they're in a cavity for like a very long time. So that battery dies.
2: Wow. So yeah.
1: We, we, there's been discussions about putting them on, but it's far infrequent. Now, we do know just based on banding data that like, yeah, the further north a uh, wood duck basically breeds the more likely it's going to be a long distance migrator. So it's actually going to do a full on migration. And then you go more and more further south and they go into like short distance migrators. Those are going to go like hundred, 200 miles. And then you just have your resident ducks or resident wood ducks. That makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now what, have,
2: now when are you guys going to start injecting pellets? I mean, now I'm thinking <laughs> now I'm really like, I want to airpod my duck. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off track, but the point is you would think that as t- technology is going to continue to go, it's, yeah. We're already putting those to track our animals that we own, right? Yeah. Is is that something that is um,
1: like a pinging, like you know, ping your animal? Where's yeah, your animal? At? Yeah, that kind it's of thing. Be, listen, if you, you right now listen, there's there's people doing some phenomenal work, but there's something called Modus towers, M O T U S, and it's just like that. It's a little tiny sensor that you can attach to an animal. I'm talking it's so tiny that we can put it on, like, tiny little birds, like a warbler, like, which is very, very small. Wow. And they go live their life. And these towers just constantly are sensing what passes it. And when it passes that tower, it pings and gives it an ID. And now you can, like, literally, uh, the more towers that go up, the more we know where that animal is. And so now we're tracking everything from the smallest animal to the biggest animal just by doing something like that. It's incredible. Wow. That is cool. Yeah. So cool. It really is.
2: So cool. So cool. So how, like, first of all, like how often does your team go out and and these are a lot of of graduate students, right? Um, How often do you guys go out and capture and release ducks with transmitters?
1: Yeah. So the team I'm running right now consists of three PhD students and they, uh, two are finishing up. One is continuing on and they go from – they're out in their quote-unquote field season. Usually – well, they've been starting September 15th. Okay? okay. That's – they spend their first month, like, doing a lot of, like, vegetation sampling because we're really interested in habitat management. Sure. And then starting October 15th, we're going to start trapping ducks. Believe it or not, there are migrators down here by October 15th. Now, we will keep going all the way through February 15th. And – we'll catch anywhere from it, now. this sounds stupid and i'm going to tell you we'll usually catch about let's just say 750 500 to a thousand ducks in a year
3: okay
0: now
1: keep in mind we are working on refuges where there are hundreds of thousands of ducks right it's should, it shouldn't be hard to catch ducks but it is they're very wary like the, you know like when i first started this i was like you want me to catch like a hundred ducks in this place where there's 150,000? i i'll throw a rock and i'll 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 get my sample size no they they, <laughs> they know they get that they're super wary and so like we're getting we're doing trapping opportunistically like we put out trail cameras just like you do for deer and we're like <clears throat> watching and watching and some days like you got to just time it right like okay let's trap them and so we'll do like 15 to 20 trapping events throughout the season and usually get like 20 to 30 mm-hmm. each time wow that's it yeah it's not it's not it's, I really did think it would be a lot easier. I thought I'd, like, literally be able to catch thousands and thousands, but they're smart. They they know they're being hunted. So, like, anything that looks a little out of place, like just a trail camera, will push them away.
0: Wow. Hmm. What um, – how do you guys – like, what are the traps like? What do you – like, how
2: do you trap them? Do you guys go running out it's there so with, cool. like a, so with, like, a – you guys run out yeah. there with a, like a cast
1: net, don't you? I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Are you sure? Okay, we've done it. No, no, seriously. <laughs> we, I, well, I got a cast net, but we made... So there's something that they use for little birds, and it's called a mist net. It's like a big net that basically the birds are flying, and they can't see it, and they get caught up in oh, it. Oh, yeah. And yeah, we I were looking that. at this one place, and we're like, these th- there must be 40,000 ducks that fly by this <laughs> one spot. So we made a gigantic mist net by like <gasps> patching together like hundreds of yards of net, and we put it on... T- like 20 and 30 foot poles to get about a hundred feet up in the air. And we're like, this is going to work. It it failed miserably. Okay. Well, (laughs) well, you try, but um, the main things we use, we use three different things. One is what's called the rocket. net. That's how most animals are traditionally caught in our field of work. So basically you put bait out, they get the animals get on the bait and you take what are basically these rockets, which have like an explosive charge in them and propel a net forward. And you sit there in a blind, you know, pretty far away. And you wait for the animals to get really close on bait, and then you hit the the switch, and boom, rockets go off. You catch your animals. We do that. We do what are called swimming traps, which is like it's like a funnel, and the ducks slowly learn to swim in there for food. And then we do something called the confusion trap, which is like usually on dry land, and they walk in and they eat their food and they learn to do the same thing. And then eventually, you just like close the trap and they all go in there and can't get out. Those are the three ways we do it.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Awesome, awesome. So how many ducks have been returned this year? Because you talked mm. about like a higher number. Yeah,
1: yeah, so significantly higher. Talk,
2: talk about why that changed because, I mean, what you basically said was is those ducks that had this safety zone left the safety zone yeah. and got into more huntable areas. How yes. many transmitters have been returned from ducks that got shot this season?
1: Okay, okay so we're at... About sixty, and the way to put that is that's about in any given year we get about eight percent, eight to ten percent of our transmitters killed, okay. give or take. And now we're probably at about twenty percent, so that double. Is, wow, yeah, significantly higher. Well, and, and and you know our lowest one was like four percent for what it's worth. So like there's definitely variation, right? Mm-hmm. But like, so we're at about double. And really, what was happening is. As everything locked up, these ducks were just searching. You look on the GPS tracks. They were in the same area, but they're, they'd be, you know, over here standing on ice, over there standing on ice, and they're just looking for any type of open water. You combine pumps, ice heaters, whatever you want to call it, the river, the Mississippi River, which was unflooded. That's where most of our ducks wound up staying.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they were just so much more likely to be killed. Are, are we, you know, something you worry about is like, hey, you're putting something on an animal's back, and. On.
2: Do you want coffee that doesn't suck? Get the Duck, Dirty Duck Coffee is made specifically for the waterfowl enthusiast. Enjoy flavors like Morning Wood, Dark Dynasty, Cinnamon Teal Snickerdoodle, and First Flight to unlock the flavor that you'll enjoy in the blind for years to come. Our friends at Dirty Duck Coffee Company are now offering all Zero Duck Thirty followers a fifteen percent discount when you use code Zero Duck Fifteen. On your next order
1: (laughs) it's that cold what you're worried about an animal that swims is like that ice builds up on the back of the transmitter Mm. and like weighs them down none of our ducks there was one duck that had a little bit of ice but most none of the others had any ice at all like they were doing just fine it's just that they were they were just committing suicide to any place with open water wow and, and there wasn't a hunter, there wasn't open water where a hunter wasn't, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: That's so interesting to think about all the, I mean, you made another point. I can't, I, I'm not even going to go, go back to it, but you know, the little things that you have to think about at, at how you want to track these animals, but you don't want to disturb their potential and their health or anything like mm-hmm. that. And something as simple as ice buildup you know it could be an ounce or two that makes a difference yeah. that uh could affect the, their life and, and it's good that it's not happening
1: yeah so, well i mean like literally everyone you know we get we have great uh great rapport with all the hunters out there um you no know, hunters up and down the flyway at this point and we make sure they send us a picture of the duck so it can you can look at their body make sure that they look good make sure in this case that there's no ice anywhere you want, you want to be cognizant of that what you're measuring is what you're actually think you're measuring you're not just messing these ducks up because when you say a duck doesn't move you better be able to defend it you know what i'm saying sure, yeah. be creating sick ducks
2: sure sure so how many ducks are you guys currently tracking now i mean you obviously 20 of them are gone but how many are you guys tracking right now about
1: 250
2: 250 wow. i would be so excited to go to work every day i mean be, like,
1: be uh, like it's overwhelming it's, it's overwhelming <laughs> it's over you, we can't keep track you know the, 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 this is one <laughs> I've, I've got more data than i can ever make a career out of and it's like you know you look and you're just like the funnest part of coming to work is actually sitting down with the graduate students and be like what crazy stuff do we want to answer today because we've got the data to answer it you know like today we were talking about like me and my phd student were talking about well how do we look at like fall migration but not just like migration but like their strategies like the idea that like Different ducks do different things, and where do they go if they're doing these different things? And it's like, I can't believe I get to answer these cool questions, and I'll never run out of them. I could stop right now, never collect another single bit of data, and provide new science and informative science for the rest of my career. It's incredible. What a good
2: problem they have. I mean, (laughs) I mean, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Not joking. Yeah. I mean, to be able to, and and that has all been recorded. So even if you need that data of ten years from now, it's incredible that you can come back
1: into that. It's millions and millions and millions of GPS locations. Wow. It's millions and millions and millions of behaviors and decisions. And, you know, you can go in now with satellite data. You can take those GPS locations and look on the daily of, like, what was there given that satellite picture. It's crazy what we can do.
2: Wow. Brad, I I got a business idea and we're going to be involved in it. I, uh, all right, because me this, off, off
1: air. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, all I'm going to say is a thing called sharktracker.com. com.
3: <laughs>
2: no, I'm just kidding. But but so with that said, you recently posted about a mallard that you've been tracking, and it traveled seven thousand six hundred and sixty miles in the last year. Will you talk about that? Because to me, I don't know how that scales, but that to me that seems like a lot.
3: Oh,
1: yeah, that one—that one's a pretty extreme example. You know, most of our ducks probably move in a year like four thousand miles, three thousand miles. I think that's a pretty reasonable, four thousand miles or so. Um, this guy just kept going, and, and, and what happens is when males go up to to breed. Like they breed, and then they're not really useful, so they keep going. And you know, maybe hmm. they they go to they do what's called the molt migration, where they basically they're going to lose all their feathers, and they want to go to a specific spot that's real safe. And this guy just took off, and he just kept going further and further northwest until he was he was closer to Alaska than he was North Dakota, wow. you know. Like, and so he just kept going and going, and then he decided, all right. Time to start piddling back. And he goes over to Calgary, sits next to like a water treatment plant where it's frozen up. Everything's frozen up in Calgary. <laughs> he's hanging out like in a park. And this is a wild duck. Wow. And then finally gets locked up out of there. And uh, he's in Tennessee now. Wow.
2: wow. That's so crazy. And how, how long does a trans... What's the longest life expectancy that you hope uh. to get out of one of these transmitters?
1: <laughs> So we were just like, I was literally just talking about this with my student. I think most of our transmitters last eight months to a year. And I'm, I'm right now I'm not as excited about that because I really want them to last longer. I would say on average, we're going to get about a year of really good data, like really good data. And then after that, it's going to slowly decrease because the battery, it's a long story, but basically because it's a rechargeable battery, every time it drops down to zero, it loses its potential so you get like wow. if it drops down to zero a bunch of times like it doesn't recharge enough it's gone gotcha um gotcha. and then like so we have some ducks that are giving us three plus years of data
3: wow. so
1: like yeah so it's cool to like watch what a duck does for three years and then realize like it's the same thing every year
2: goodness that mm-hmm. is incredible stuff um So So let's kind of jump back into that. that, I want to jump back into that cold front a little bit more. Mm. Um, So what we know from this conversation so far tonight is that obviously what you guys saw with the transmitters is that a lot of these ducks had to come out of their safe zones to start bouncing around and doing that. Yeah. Um, Anything else significant that stood out with you um, that this weather push, you know, you talked about the, the two pushes, um, did you see like any change like are the ducks still hanging around or what do you see there
3: yeah
1: so some of our more northern ducks just really pushed further down and kind of that was the impetus that's usually that you gotta keep in mind like mid late december and uh, maybe you guys know this too just by being out hunting it always seems that like late december Yeah, I do. I do pretty good. Like there's some fresh ducks around, I always think. Yeah. And our data plays that out. Like there's there's an inevitable push of either cold weather, usually up like really far up north, like the Dakotas. uh, Nowadays, the Dakotas that just like finishes it off. It's like, you know, locks up a bunch of places and here they come. Yeah, that happened. So that that happened. All the ones that were already down there, like 70, which were 75 percent of our birds were already further down south than that. Hmm. Uh, they went more east to west than they did north to south. Huh. Oh, wow! They, the ones we had only like nine out of all the dust I just told you about that went south, and of those, four of them came right back up after the water unfroze. Five of them stayed down there, and like by further down, I mean, uh, one made it as far as like northern Louisiana. Some stayed in Alabama, but like most of them just came right back up anyway. And I will say this: the ones that were further north and came further south didn't go back north again they just were
2: like okay finally made it to where i need to go i'm good interesting interesting so something i'm kind of getting from both of our conversations on these podcasts Mm -hmm. is and and correct me if i'm wrong but there definitely seems to be some imprinting going on as far as migration Mm -hmm. goes so if i'm a louisiana mallard i'm i'm part of that louisiana mallard push or (sighs) Is it is that kind of still open for? Uh,
1: I think it's open, but I think so. I think that's the truth. I, I think you know, you know, twenty five percent of all of our mallards have. We have GPS locations in the exact same spot the next year um, where we trap them. So, in other words, twenty five percent of our birds come back to not even the same like general area I'm talking like right on the same like where you're standing is where they are next year that's pretty amazing for a duck that flew 4,000 miles right (laughs) no kidding so when you have that type of fidelity it's hard not to believe that a Louisiana bird is a Louisiana bird now listen they're all probably breeding with each other right I don't know what makes a Louisiana bird a Louisiana bird is it genetics is it hey this is I came down here once And it was pretty good, you know? I don't know what it is. But it definitely suggests, and we've known for a long time, by the way, that ducks have high side fidelity. Like, we know that. So, like, it it adds into an equation of, like, it all plays part of, like, this stale duck stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Is that we're, like, the ones that are naive are the ones that we kill. And the ones (laughs) that are surviving over time keep being the ones that are, like, uh, have higher site fidelity it makes sense to like know your area and you're gonna if you know your area better you're more likely to survive so we're kind of pushing i think pushing that way does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah. Like Towards we have a lot of birds if it if it is that way then we're besides like the pressure point like just hunting as a selective force as a large role to play in why hunt quality for ducks is go it has gone down over the past 20 years and I don't know if that's true. That's where science is. That's where our lab wants to look.
0: Yeah,
2: it'd be interesting. And and this is just a side by side comparison that's coming to my mind. It'd be interesting to to understand the science behind what these ducks do if it's similar to what, say, a salmon does. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's magic right. to everybody that they're like, how do they know to go right back? where they hatched, you know, is a salmon, you know.
3: I
1: think it has to do on the wintering side. On the wintering side, it, ha- it probably has to do with, you know, habitat quality, wetland quality, and safety. We know that where these ducks are keying in on isn't a random place. It's They're winding up back in the same refuge. That's a safe place, and they know it. That's probably the most valuable part of it is, like, they know – that this place is safe where they winter and where they winter probably has good food. You put those two together and you're going to increase site fidelity. No doubt. So what do we have around most, uh, I don't know, most of the wintering MAV MAV Mississippi, alluvial Valley duck clubs providing very good food surrounding national refuge. That's probably making a lot of ducks being pretty loyal to an area. Does that make sense? Year after year.
2: Yeah. That, no, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Well, you know, going into, you know, the last, I guess, week of duck season now, less than, um, and we kind of got into this a little bit on the first podcast, but, um, you know, Brad, what are some of the strategies that, you know, for people that are new to hunting or whatever it may be that you would suggest just from a scientific standpoint, you might want to do as a duck hunter or, and as a, just a field duck hunter yourself at this point. Right. Pressure. All right. right.
1: So So this is going to, all right. So most people would say, "Oh, you know, go realistic with your spreads and this and that."
3: Mm-mm.
1: I think different. I think, I think be different. Be different than what they've seen. Be, you know, don't worry about buying your dozen mallards and putting them out paired up. away. no, heck no. Go, go buy a bunch of cheap goose decoys and put them out 80 yards away from you and sit <laughs> and sit down. Win.
3: <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's, that's, you know, I hunted, uh, a hunted um, two days ago, I sat in a little pothole that, I and I didn't put a decoy out. So, you know, you know, I just had to be on the X
3: and
1: yeah, I knew that I, I know that spot well enough that if I put a single decoy out, they're going to flare off of it. Wow. You're hunting ducks that have been heavily hunted. And so go different. Don't go realistic.
0: Wow. Now, and in- just out of curiosity, that hunt—did you call it all, or did you, what was your strategy on
1: calling? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I—I I, I don't really. So, um, I did call a little bit, but they weren't—they weren't. They weren't I, I think this time of year, you gotta be real careful calling. Like, there's some places I was just in a hunt in we in Illinois where it was like, in order to get their feet down, you literally needed to lay on them. These were still like recently wintering ducks. Like, this is. This is like ducks that should know that that's a hunt, but like, no, they, they were on it here. Wow. Yeah. I called, I called, I, I don't ever use a female duck in any of my decoy spreads. They don't, ducks aren't that smart. Come on. Yeah. Absolutely. I give them a lot of credit, but like, they're not looking for that hen that's calling. Right. You know, and I, it, it, uh, the ducks, I don't need to do, when I have, if I'm confident enough to not even put out a decoy, cause I know like this little pothole, if they come in, I'm going to kill them. I, I'm just going to let them work. Yeah. And, Hopefully, scratch out a couple. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I don't, I don't, I think people. I'm one of the. I'm one of those people, and everyone that hunts with me will tell you I overthink everything. Yeah, but more and more, I'm going towards. I want to be different, and I want to simplify.
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense, and I mean, hunting with my dad, like he's very OCD, and uh, just I gotta be the military in him, and. He um you know we we change so many different things throughout a hunt I mean not you know we give birds a few times to try different things but you know if it's not working it's like all right well let's try something else let's try not calling let's try calling a little bit let's move yeah. the end of the decoy whatever it may be you know just trying to change it up you know
1: it's too much duck hunting is I was just thinking about this yesterday when I was in the blind.
2: Our partners at Huntwise are offering an exclusive discount for Zero Duck 30 followers. As an elite member, some of the features you'll immediately gain access to are Huntcast, Windcast, peak kill times, property lines, owner information and phone lookup, 250 map layers, unlimited offline maps, 3D maps, social media, and on top of it all, save up to 50% off some of the top hunting brands in the industry. Download and explore the number one hunting tool set today and save 20% by using
1: code DUCK30. Um, It's a very weird thing, right? So you see ducks, and I, we were working ducks that were coming in. Mm-hmm. And the second, even when they were coming in, it was hard for me not to hit the duck call because it's such a rewarding thing. I'm like, oh, I'm moving an animal. I'm, you know, I'm interacting with it. And, like, I am almost positive that, like, 99% of the time I could kill that duck without a call
3: like i'm not
1: you know you know but i'm you know the only thing i think that's like we're tinkering with constantly and is what keeps duck hunting interesting is like how we spread out the decoys mojos or no mojos you know those are the two things always emotion Mm
3: -hmm.
1: i don't know i don't know if you feel the same way but (laughs) of all things like no matter how much research i do it's like the the same fights that i'm constantly fighting with like should I turn on the the mojos? Maybe another mojo? No mojos.
3: You know, I have to think <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: It's the land of confusion.
0: One one thing I've I I'd be interested to um, talk to you know our buddies that hunt in Arkansas all the time to see their perspective on this. But you know, I don't think we've really experienced that many stale ducks. I mean, pretty much the birds that were giving us a look, they were callable and they reacted. You know. Mm-hmm whether they wanted to be there or not it's a different story but you know mm. a lot of the ones we could call at they reacted a little bit in if the they way. weren't pintails yeah if they weren't are you guys
1: are, you guys are you guys hunting a, like an open rice field
2: yeah yeah open rice Do you stuff. guys
1: leave your decoys out
2: sometimes mm-hmm. I'd say half the time it just depends
1: okay no I don't I don't have anything to add there I'm just wondering, I'm well, just wondering. I'll Good. tell you
2: this this is one thing I will tell you that Tristan and I learned a lot about this year is You know, down in the south, we get into not hunting an area too much. I've witnessed personally a a single field that I don't care how much you hunt it, you will kill ducks every single day, all day long. Um, It it was, they shot, and and, and Cade, correct me if I'm wrong, I'll go on the low end, seven days in a row, 88 limits. Out of one field, it was eleven straight days. Eleven straight days. Okay, Um, so if you can't look at that and say that ducks aren't jumping around, then I don't know what else that data tells you because there's no way those are the same ducks, right?
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: I mean, I know teal are stupid. Here's the thing, yeah, yeah, no
1: (laughs) doubt, no doubt. Like there are, and I uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday. We were in a blind that like. You consistently kill ducks, no matter what, and it's like, you know, mm, how do I put it? There's just there are some places that are just the X, like yeah. they're just the X, and like I'll, I'll tell you right now, like ducks are not treating around, but it's a it's a numbers game. Right. When you have a million ducks, sure. and I tell you that, and I tell you that, uh, in any given day, seventy percent of them are only gonna move twice, once once right, at, right around shooting light ending and right around shooting light beginning, um, that still gives you 20% or 200,000 ducks that aren't doing that, right? That are going right. to trade around once. Right. Well, there you go. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a numbers game because there's so many ducks. And when you think about somewhere like Arkansas, you know, a million isn't, isn't even touching it, right? And so ducks aren't trading back and forth, but there's so many that some are. And that's how you get that money. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it it, you know, it, it, it is. Know, a, it's a numbers game, like you said. It's it, all you know when you have a when you're dealing with millions of animals. Even if one percent is doing it, it's still a lot of them. Oh yeah, it's still a lot of animals. It's a
2: whole lot, and you know the thing that was cool is that, and it's cool. It was a double edged sword. Is that Tristan and I got to witness this one field? No, um it's
1: miserable. I would I would hate that. That sounds terrible.
2: Oh, it, it, it was incredible. But guess what? The next day, everything changed like the flip of a switch. I mean, we shot a few, and we even got to sky blast some snow geese. But it was night and day difference. The ducks weren't moving. Whatever they were doing, they weren't doing what they had been doing the 11 Wait. days prior to that.
1: Oh, hold on. So you, you were in that blind? Yeah. Oh, never mind. That's not miserable. That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, we was in the blind. I thought you were watching. I thought you were watching. Like over
3: the cross, like you're like looking across to another blind. Oh, so no, you know no, no, no,
1: no. Oh, no, no you're in that.
3: Bu- oh, that's yeah. That's
2: we're like in that look, blind, up. and we were, it was like it's it's as about as fun as duck hunting gets, you know. And, and and they were just every 15 minutes, just here we go, here we go. We got something to call at, and blah, blah, blah. And it was a lot of teal, a lot of teal, a lot of giant groups of teal. I mean, from we saw them from 20 to Three hundred. 300. Yeah, I mean, wow. really, I, I watched. I had to actually go back to the truck and do some work on Sunday morning, and I come back on the side by side, and we always park the side by side, you know, several hundred yards away. And I come walking through there, and I looked down, I saw this giant group come over. All these guys, and I was like, wow, it was just beautiful to witness, you know, and mm-hmm. to see that many birds, and and they shot, they shot them, you know. But but it's go ahead, Tristan.
0: What I thought was interesting from last weekend is we were there for three days you know we got saturday sunday and we took monday off to hunt and it was uh, sunday was the cloudy kind of gross day and you know down down in the south like those are kind of preferred hunting days um but for duck movement but up there in you know arkansas they're like yeah bluebird day is north wind like that's the yep. be- best hunting days and we actually had way less success those days which it wasn't a strong north wind. It might have been, you know, northwest five miles per hour or something like that. But I just thought that was kind of interesting.
2: Well, Cade just told me, he, he's the owner of Delta Thunder Outfitters. He just told me, he goes, we have had, it's just been the opposite this year. Huh. He said, I don't know what it is, but he said, your bluebird days have not been the days we've been shooting them. Wow. He goes, mm. it's just not been that way, you know? And, um you know, everybody's out there saying, oh, the weather this, and you got your hopes on a a whim, you know, that kind of thing, you know, but it it was definitely cool that we got to experience it was going nuts, and the next day, we were like, okay, something has changed here, you know, and it was cool, because you know that, it's duck hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Any any day that can happen. So, and, and we do our best to try to explain that to a lot of people out there, especially if you're hunting with an outfitter, is that look, they don't like have some Jedi mind trick power <laughs> that, to pull ducks onto their property. You know, I know a, a very very respectable outfitter uh, in Arkansas that they have one of these areas that just i don't know if it's imprinting or what but boy they just smoke them and last year they it just wasn't it just shut off it just completely Mm. shut off so you don't know what these animals are going to do and that's the pleasure of having someone like yourself on this podcast is so that we can all better understand this stuff a little bit more
1: here yeah no it's it's uh it's the best and worst part of duck hunting man you, you sit there and you go this thing shouldn't be so smart and uh you're constantly thinking about how to trick them i mean it's always it's a it's a game of uh it's constant it's what makes it better than any type of hunting i think is that it's, you don't spend much time actually just like enjoying the actual hunt it's always like what can i do what can we do better yeah. I don't, right. I don't, I don't, you know uh, it's addicting it is, it is. So
2: to kind of shift gears here, so have you guys been finding any dead ducks that you suspect or you've studied and tested that are have been affected by this avian influenza?
1: Mm, so yeah, the uh, that's a good question. We have been doing surveillance for avian influenza since we started this project. So every duck that we put a transmitter on, we swabbed for avian influenza. We, last year, we had the first known detections of that high path avian influenza mm. in the Mississippi Alluvial Valley. So our study was kind of the first detection of it in the MAV. Mm. And so we had um, nine ducts that we put transmitters on that had, that were infected at that moment. And at the same time, we put 11 out there that weren't infected. So at the same catch, we got 20 ducks, nine had it, 11 didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, we're publishing a paper right now that shows that, like, that our ducks acted almost exactly—our ducks that were infected acted almost exactly like the uninfected ducks. So it didn't really— um, it didn't really seemingly affect their behavior or survival or anything like that, or their migration timing or anything that you look at. And we don't actually, when you go in these refuges, we're not picking up a bunch of sick mallards or green wing teal or anything like that. Like we're not finding a lot of dead ducks. Mm-hmm. What we are finding is like a bunch of snow geese that are dead from it. Like snow geese are getting hit pretty hard. Hmm. Um, are you seeing it more
2: our, juvenile?
1: Uh no, but no, I, I, that's probably a disease biologist could probably answer that better, but I will just say like, if you've ever been seen on a refuge, you know, the, the 30,000, 40,000 snow geese that literally pack, you know, or any field where snow geese are, it's like, yeah. Okay. It's not surprising that like disease hits them the hardest. Sure. Um, but I will say, uh, it's more of a concern of their, it's seemingly I'm not a disease biologist by means but seemingly more of a concern of them spreading it to more susceptible animals than you know mal like something like a mallard actually their population uh, being negatively affected by high path avian influenza
2: gotcha gotcha like the commercial side and and that kind of thing
1: or 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 <clears throat> or even you know snow geese and or whatever whatever it could be you know or the uh, the thousands of other avian species that, you know, we probably don't hunt and kill. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha.
2: I understood. Yeah, it's it's been, um, you know, we had um, a few, probably a few podcasts back. We had uh, Dr. Jennifer Ballard on. She's
1: actually, oh, she's great from Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. She's
2: awesome. Yeah. And I brought up you on
0: the podcast. and <laughs> She said that she, I, don't, I guess you guys maybe went to school together, together or worked together or something. Yeah. Before.
1: Yeah. Jen, Jennifer and I went to school together at the university of Georgia. Mm-hmm. She's, she's amazing. Ooh, 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 really let's go dogs. <laughs> yeah. Go dogs. That's right. It was, it was, it it was a good beginning to my 20, uh, 23. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, she's, she's a gem. You got a good
2: one in Arkansas. Yeah, she she gave our our listeners, I mean, and us, like, a, a schooling lesson on this whole uh, avian influenza. And good, informative, factual information. You know, they mm-hmm. got, got rid of a little bit of that uh, gossip.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: no, she's legit.
0: Um, while we're kind of on that topic, another um, person that we happen to have on the podcast that yeah. uh, I think she also went to school with you is um, Karen Nitschke um from Mm -hmm, georgia mm -hmm, and she was mm -hmm. she was great she um you know obviously her home state georgia is not like the um epitome of waterfowl but uh Mm -hmm. the places we hunt are so full of you know alligators and then you know there's some waterfowl so and i think her Mm -hmm. title is the um game head game biologist of waterfowl and
2: um Alligators. so it was pretty yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we had to complain to her a little bit about our teal season and, and the fact that we shined out after we get all set up and our blind at three o'clock in the morning and I we shine out in and pan. And I go, bro, there is like eighty to ninety sets of eyes looking at us. And, and Tristan and I wasn't too worried. No joke. And Tristan and I.
1: Like, are you guys around, like, Brunswick
0: or something? Yes. Uh, yeah,
2: Yeah. That,
0: that's not where we live, but if we're hunting
1: in Georgia, it's around that area. Yeah. yeah
2: you know, it's down there by uh, Bear Creek, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's, <laughs> like, I,
1: I've often thought about, like, one of my dream hunts is to go down to Florida and, weirdly enough, and, like, because there's just such variety. There's so many different species of ducks there, um, mm-hmm. wintering down there. But I don't think I could do it. I don't think I can hunt with gators. I mean, everybody does it. Don't get me wrong, but you guys, God bless you. I, I get afraid of like, <laughs> yeah, like a snapping turtle. Like I'm like even like in December, I'm like, oh please don't let me set a step on a snapping turtle. <laughs> I can imagine going in Gatorland. When when you do it, you just
0: gotta hunt out of a boat and then have have somebody else go get the duck. Well, I, I kind of honestly,
2: I compare it to a surfer. Quite honestly, I mean, you definitely a have a higher point. risk of dying from a from a shark, I think, than you do a gator. Because honestly, a lot of the areas that we hunt, unless we're hunting coastal areas where that's not managed, um, a lot of mm-hmm. these areas that are WMAs, they have a quota system for these gators, and they know mm-hmm. that they want to take out these big guys. You know, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, most of them get taken out. Most of them. But you have your occasional one where you're like, all right, he's bigger than three foot. All right. He's bigger than four foot. And I would
0: kinda use the analogy of like, you know, people out in like Colorado or whatever, you know, or I guess kind of where we're from too, the black bears, North Georgia and Tennessee, you know, Mm. a lot of people are just like, Yeah, you know, you know, respectfully mind your business, you know, but a lot of times they're more afraid of you than you are of them. And I would kind of use that analogy with the alligator. Now you see a lot more alligators, but they, for the most part, are pretty. You know.
2: Well, the point I was gonna make is, is we told her about this, and she's like, "Oh, that's great! They're doing awesome." And we're like, <laughs> "No, it's not great." It's not...
1: <laughs> but yeah, she's right. balancing. I'm with right, you. I'm with you. But I'm she's, you.
2: but she's, she's looking at it from a way bigger picture than we are, obviously. Yeah. You know, and cool stuff. But, uh, um, so is there anything you know? Since we had you on in September. Is there anything that, you know, that has influenced new study or anything that, you know, that's came up that you're excited about that you're like, you know, hey, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to start diving into this, this office. right
1: So we we started a new project with TWRA, Tennessee Wildlife Resources Association, or agency, I'm sorry, um, where uh, we're working to uh, basically work with private landowners to create like private land rest areas for waterfowl Mm -hmm. up and down the river systems of Tennessee. And the idea is that we'll redistribute the ducks better if we give them more safe areas. So get them off, you know, all these refuges and um, we've, it's been just an awesome study. It's what we're using all those drones for is like to monitor how many ducks are using our rest areas. So we picked areas that like we had no GPS locations of any ducks Uh, hardly ever in these areas so these weren't like good quality hunting areas they weren't anything they're just areas that held water where people would walk through or use it to get to a blind or whatever and um we basically made them we worked with them to create an undisturbed area that in saying anywhere from like 80 acres or in size to like 200 acres in size and we have all these gps marked ducks that we've been monitoring and it's been just awesome so far like we have thousands and thousands of ducks using these undisturbed areas our wow. gps ducks are using these areas and what's even better is the hunting in that in those areas like we hope sees you know the data will speak to itself but it looks promising that the hunting's improving too which was the main reason to
3: do it
2: that's awesome well that makes total sense i mean let's just say you take a uh, 100 square miles right and In 900 square miles, you have two refuges where the ducks are back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And now you're able to supply 10. They have to travel different lines. True. Which is going to open it up to those areas where folks can't hunt.
1: Bingo. Bingo. So, like, we were, you know, we were glad. It was so, like, we were like, okay, well, we're, you know, we're putting areas in that you can't hunt. And we were like, oh, how are people going to take it? And they've just been, like, all about it. They're like, this place, you know, our hunting area used to be so good when such and such owned this land and they never hunted, but then they sold it. And now there's a blind there and our hunting's crap. And like, we're like, okay, well, we're going to add something new. And they're like, yes, thank you.
3: <laughs> and so
1: it's been really nice. It's been good that experience. That makes
2: a lot of sense. That is so cool. That's a very it cool thing. It speaks the
1: importance of these safe areas. You know, like if you're not hunting near a safe area, put one in.
2: Awesome, and you know what I love about what you all are doing there, spe- specifically Tennessee and, and the Tennessee duck hunters are going give, to give a big rah rah to this, is that y'all are doing something proactive to 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 create better habitat and duck hunting for the duck hunters. But at the same time, what your main focus is is helping the ducks, right?
1: Yeah, You're yeah, one hundred percent. It's 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 a multifaceted approach, and I mean honestly. I'm glad I get to do the work, but it also speaks to the actual agency I'm working with. You know, they're putting their money where their mouth is. It's not; these aren't cheap studies. You know, we're talking big money to actually look at this stuff and to implement these type of like we're talking about large scale project putting rest areas out across the landscape. That's a huge commitment financially, time wise. It's a bunch, and like you know, they they're passionate about doing the right thing for their constituents too.
2: Well, That's great. one thing I, I I will applaud TWRA for doing, and if you're listening out there and you're a public land hunter and you want to get in on some public land, one of the cool things that they do is they will actually publish in their public areas where there is um, opportunity for either moist soil plants or planted um, grains and, mm-hmm. and corn and stuff. They'll actually publish, like, this is the WMA we put in, 15 acres of corn, five acres of millet, that kind of thing. And and don't get me wrong, the forecast doesn't always meet what the growth of the product is, you know. Um sure. you know, you might be a hunter going, oh, this 15 acres of corn. And you walk out there and go like this was a terrible planning. You know, it's it's so subject to they're not farmers out there managing it every day. But but the thing is cool about it is that they're releasing this information to the public for you to see what's happening and and hopefully have a better chance. Yep. Very cool stuff. Um so what, where do you guys have your eyes, like where are you looking into the future? Is it this pellet stuff that we talked a little bit about later? Do you guys have some <laughs> Jedi mind trick stuff that you do no, with ducks? Most,
1: no, most of our studies, we got that big one rolling with the GPS mallards. We're working with the U.S. Uh, Fish and Wildlife Service to look at how to better monitor different things on their actual refuges. So that's a straight like protocols of how to do measure things right and we're working with dr he Hagee on that and then the you know the bigger ones down the pipeline are you know multi-species approaches looking maybe about going you know looking more at fall migration the importance of different types of maybe refuges but also like something as simple as like just quantifying how many days a single duck is hunted like this is a mm-hmm. weird thing but like something like we're thinking more and more about is like a duck that like slowly pulls its way down the flyway versus one that just comes to Tennessee experiences a lot more hunted days. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Like, what does that mean from how we manage them? It, 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 you know, these ducks are getting a ton of pressure if they're trying to go down the flyway over time. And you know, we think like 120 days of pressure. That's a ton. Yeah. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. So those are things we're doing and working with other, other um, species. Like we're putting transmitters on black ducks now and trying to see what they do. So far, looking just as boring as a mallard, to be honest with you right now. But <laughs> we're also doing it, you know, we're doing a similar study in Middle Middle Tennessee on Tennessee National Wildlife Refuge where we're also putting GPS transmitters on mallards there, seeing what they're doing, seeing which flyway they're using, things like that. Very cool.
2: Very cool, Brad. Man, um, Tristan, you got anything else for this, this guy? I mean, he just kind of takes that data and and at the end of the day brad we all sit here listening to you going this guy knows something that <laughs> that the average hunter doesn't know so if you ever need an extra buddy uh just give us a call <laughs> we're not too far away right <laughs> because i'm gonna guess i, that- I, I i'm
1: not saying I'm, it doesn't make me any close to anything close to a better hunter i'll tell you that much i'm still my, <laughs> my own worst enemy in the blind i'm i'm messing around with decoys and mojos and not actually hunting, like I said, like 80% of the time I'm, I'm actually like out in the water tinkering with things, so it hasn't <laughs> helped
3: in that approach.
2: Sounds like somebody you know, doesn't it, Tristan?
0: Oh yeah, that's what we were talking about earlier when you stepped away for a second. I was <laughs> like, yeah, that's how my dad does it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's the military. I mean, there's a reason why my handle is HD Duck Hunter, right? <laughs> so yeah, we, we
0: call him you, Brad. I don't think we've ever said this on no, the podcast, but have you? Do you remember those commercials going around <laughs> with like? the hd vision military vision See, yes so, you spies navy seals just, and all. so one of our buddies because <laughs> my dad's so hd hd or you know ocd is like these are the sunglasses you need tony the hd vision so that became his nickname <laughs> nickname about duck well hunt. that's because i'm
2: walking i walk into walmart one night and we're up deer hunting in in in, in mill georgia and and we walk into there and we've we had a couple, you know, and I walked in there and they're stacked up like chest high as seen on TV. You know, And I'm like, Oh dude, I'm deer hunting with these tomorrow. You know? And so I come walking in with them and these guys are like, dude, Come on. <laughs> Come on. There's gotta be a limit, you know. So, ever since then they've called me high definition. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um but man, thank you so much for spending time with us and hey, we hope to continue the relationship and have you on. Um I'd like to have you on in Turkey season and talk about what you guys are doing during with Turkey and yeah, uh, time. Yeah, and talk more about that as we roll into the off season because you know if you're a true i can't say label this as a true hunter, but if you're if you're interested in understanding the whole ecology and the the whole biology of an animal and what they do throughout the whole season and off season stuff, I think you know when we're able to talk to folks like brad and and other people that are in the science community I mean that's priceless information for us to understand that species better. You know, to, to, to understand what they do in the off season is just as important to know what they do during season, I, in my opinion, but you're talking yeah, Yeah, one hundred percent.
1: And these type of, these type of conversations, you're actually getting the, you know, hopefully you see the type of people that are actually doing the research that's informing the decisions that impact you. Like, you know, yes. I, hopefully pulls back the, you know, the curtain a little bit and it's like, okay, you know, we're all, we're all the same person just yep. trying to do it different ways.
2: Absolutely. And where can everybody find you guys? Where can we follow you at? Um,
1: go on, go on Facebook and just type in Cohen Wildlife Lab. Same with Instagram, C O H E N Wildlife Lab. Uh, we post a bunch of stuff. We're going to start, you know, teeing up a bunch of turkey stuff now as waterfowl season slows down. But every Monday we post some GPS tracks on Mallard Movement Monday of some cool things we're seeing, and so just trying and keeping people in the loop on all the data that we're collecting.
0: Well, good deal, man Well, thank you so much, Brad. Uh, this yes, was awesome, awesome talk. Um, and yeah, that's
1: all I got. Appreciate well, you guys. Thanks.
2: Until next time. Uh, good luck out there. Be safe and, and good luck with the research and, and and your students.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
0: Yep. I've been southbound. I've been hellbound. Riding
1: on a midnight train. Too fast now, think of
3: slow down Standing in the pouring rain